0: The best. Best. best, 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 best of Cresta in the afternoon countdown.
1: Number twenty-seven.
0: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. We've been talking periodically, reminding us of the three-year initiative of the Church in the United States to renew Eucharistic knowledge, uh, faith, ma- amazement, uh, love, life, witness. And uh, this, uh, again, impetus on the part of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops uh, has been a response to the, the troubling uh, trends that we've seen, uh, you know, the lack of – Belief in the real presence, uh, the ignorance about church teaching, the decline in mass attendance. And join me right now to help keep us abreast of what's going on in the uh, focus on Eucharistic revitalization. We've got Father Roger Landry. He's a priest of the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts, an alumni of Harvard College and the Pontifical North American College in Rome. He's ecclesiastical advisor for Aid to the Church in Need, USA, and he's a papally appointed missionary of mercy and a missionary of the Eucharist for the U.S. Catholic bishops. Uh, And so, Father Roger, good to have you back. Thanks. Great to be with you, Al. Let's talk about—you wrote a column recently uh, in which you quote St. Thomas Aquinas in the uh, Lauda Sion Salvatorum Gospel sequence that he wrote for the inaugural inaugural celebration of Corpus Christi back in 1264. And there's a phrase there— which focuses on daring to do all we can. Why don't you contextualize that for us?
1: So St. Thomas, when he was asked by Pope Urban IV to write the all, all the prayers for the Church for that first celebration of Corpus Christi, in the second verse of that sequence, we still say immediately before the Gospel on the Feast of the Body and the Blood of the Lord is quantum potes tantum aude, However much you can do, dare so to do, because he goes on in that verse, all the praise that we would possibly be able to muster won't be able to do justice to the reality of Christ in the Eucharist we're trying to celebrate. And so it's, it's, it's a summons for us in every age, not just to do something or not just to do a little more. But to just say, how awesome is this incredible gift to the Eucharist, and let's go for it. Let's put out into the deep water. Let's let our love, which never permits the word enough, let's let our love for the Lord Jesus really take over. And so that's what I would love to see as the sort of informal motivation for the Church's Eucharistic revival, not just sort of going through the same old, same old, but how can we love the Lord lavishly? in response to the extraordinarily lavish love he gives us, hiding himself humbly under the appearances of bread and wine so that he can not only be with us until the end of time, but he can be the only nourishment he considers worthy of our souls. This
0: uh, emphasis, even even though this is, you you know, started, uh, U.S. Conference Catholic bishops have gone ahead with this, this is meant to be I mean, this doesn't succeed without personal devotion. without the renewal of our own attitudes towards the Eucharist, right?
1: So there's an attempt, of course, to understand what the Church is doing in terms of external structure. And so this whole Eucharistic revival is structured in terms of years, this first year... Is for uh, national focus and at the sorry, it's for diocesan focus ac- across the country, and that'll take place until next Corpus Christi. The second year will be to try to make every parish in the U.S. more and more explicitly focused on Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. The third year is going to be national with the first Eucharistic Congress that our country will host since 1976, when 1.5 million people, including St. Teresa, Calcutta, the future St. John Paul II, Dorothy Day, even President Ford, went to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. But despite all of that structure, the most important is personal, that you and I and everybody else have got to say, how can I love the Lord more, and to start acting on it? Curiously, in response to some of these articles I write on the Eucharistic revival, I'll get a lot of responses in the comment boxes that will say something like this. We're never going to have a revival of Eucharistic love in our country until we fix a whole bunch of things. Uh, whether we're receiving Holy Communion in our tongue or the hands, whether yeah. Mass is ad orientem or versus Populum. All these other suggestions, which are not bad ideas to think about, but I think they all violate what Jesus says in the Gospel, that it's not so much about the speck in your brother's eye but the <laughs> log in your own and yeah. like okay fair enough but how can i grow in greater love for the lord and the holy eucharist and so that's what i'm trying to help catalyze as one of the 56 national eucharistic preachers appointed by the us bishops to try to uh, be the starter wood for what they hope will be a bonfire yeah
0: yeah. What what are some—I mean, one thing people can do is they can actually spend time reading uh, a number of documents that have been produced by uh, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. What, what would you recommend people to meditate on?
1: So I, I think out of all of those documents, the most important and the most easily accessible is what Pope Benedict gave us back in 2007 called mm-hmm. Sacramentum. Karatati, the Sacrament of Love, which was the expression Jesus himself used to refer to the Eucharist in his appearance as the St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in the 1670s. Um, but the U.S. Bishops have put together documents on Eucharistic amazement, as well as Eucharistic integrity, St. John Paul II, on how the whole Church, everything we do in the Church, flows from the Eucharist, as well as an exhortation that he gave, "'Stay with us, Lord,' based on the scene in Emmaus, in which we're called to grow in Eucharistic amazement. These are all places where we can start, but I, I would say that if we're really going to grow, it basically comes from our just being blown away by the gift of the Eucharist. And I, I, In my pastoral experience, Al, that happens best when we're just quietly sitting or kneeling, in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and Eucharistic Adoration, because we don't kneel before a bread box. But we do <laughs> kneel before the King of Kings. And so when we're there, in his own way, Jesus can fill us with what we need.
0: Yeah, this is important. Uh, for, for I, I know there are a lot of people, especially younger people, who are constantly on the go, and they've got perpetual distractions with their smartphones and It's very important to remind people how quieting oneself before the Eucharistic Christ, what can happen there. And I was surprised uh, about 20 years ago when our parish had uh, uh, Eucharistic adoration uh, set up, how many people uh, came away from uh, being, uh, laying themselves out before the Lord and reporting interior experiences that uh, they'd never had before. And I I think we have to remember there's an experiential dimension to this. Um, But One way to qualify ourselves to receive those gifts is to quiet ourselves before him.
1: That's exactly right. This past weekend, I had the privilege of going to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I helped St. Monica's Parish there celebrate 20 years of perpetual Eucharistic adoration of the Lord Jesus. And you remember the Gospel on Sunday, it was that great scene between Jesus, Martha, and Mary in their house in Bethany. And Martha is so much like so many Americans we know, worried and anxious, busy about many things, trying to love the Lord in our own action. And when she asked Jesus to um, provoke her sister Mary to get up and help her, Rather than correcting Mary, who was seated at his feet listening to him, he corrected Martha, saying she was worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary, and that Mary had chosen the chosen better part and wouldn't be taken away from her. We have to become a little bit more like yeah. Mary of Bethany, just sitting at Jesus' feet and receiving from him, because he had gone to Bethany, curiously, not to be fed, but to, sorry, not to feed, sorry, yes, not to be fed, but to feed. Yeah. And it was only Mary seated at his feet who received that extraordinary nutrition. And so for all of us, especially in the U.S., we need to follow Mary of Bethany to Jesus' feet um, in Eucharistic adoration, where he wishes to feed us in a similar way to the manna with which he fed her.
0: Well, speaking of the manna, uh, let me ask you about—I I got a chance to look at the uh, what you produced called "This Is My Body, Given for You," priests as catalyst for the church's eu- Eucharistic revival, and I thought one of the great as- features of this is how you uh, show that the Eucharist is concealed in the under the Old Covenant, in Old Testament. Uh, I think for many people that's a surprise. They think of the Eucharist as a uniquely um, New Testament institution. Of course, it is unique in some respects to the New Covenant, but it had all kinds of precursors to it. Can you share a few of those?
1: Yeah, Jesus had prepared us for the gift of himself in the Holy Eucharist all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the Tree of Life. He is that real tree, the fruit of the Tree of Life that we're called to eat for eternal life. We've got many other of those Old Testament signs. We've got it in the perfect sacrifice of Abel. We've got it in Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac as God the Father sacrificed his son, that lamb whom the God the Father provided. We see it in the fulfillment of the Passover lamb uh, when God liberated the Jews from the hands of Pharaoh. We see it in the manna in the desert. We see it in the living Water that flowed from the rock that Moses struck. We saw it in the food that nourished Elijah for his 40 day journey through the desert. We see it in the feast of Ahasuerus, that lavish feast that Queen Esther participated in. We saw it in the um, feast on the mountainside in Isaiah 25, to which God, uh, to which Jesus basically fulfilled in the multiplication of loaves and fish which then pointed to the Last Supper, which itself points to heaven. We've got so many prophetic acts throughout the entire Old Testament that help us to get ready for this. And, you know, I just urge two, two things there. First, if you go to the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament in Hansville, Alabama, that um, Mother Angelica created, you've got 12, basically, steps in an itinerary toward the Eucharist, which really helps us to grow in depth of uh, an appreciation of the depth of the precursors for the Eucharist. And here in New York, we've got an extraordinary church run by the Blessed Sacrament Fathers called St. Jean-Baptiste, St. John the Baptist, in which all the stained-glass windows are all of these precursors for the Holy Eucharist. And I go there, and I just immerse myself in the beauty and the depth of God's preparation, which was meant to help us to get ready to receive the gift of gifts on the altar. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that, that sounds great. I'd like to—I'll have to get myself over there sometime. I've never been there, but it sounds like that would be I, a I would love place.
1: to be your tour guide,
0: Al. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a call when I'm prepared to, to get over there. Um, where where can people go to be, stay kind of fresh on what's happening here, any news that might be coming up? or Is there a, a website for the Eucharistic there is, Revival? There is a
1: website, and even better— there is a newsletter that you can sign up for on the website. So I'd urge everybody to go just to EucharisticRevival.org, and then on the homepage of EucharisticRevival.org, there's a chance to put your email address in and get a newsletter that the U.S. bishops are going to send out every two weeks. Nice. The first one's about to come out later this week, okay. and then in two weeks I'll have a little piece for them on St. John Vianney and Eucharistic Revival and the vast meter right for them continuously, uh, so that you're not only able to get news about what's coming on up, but also what's happened from the Eucharistic preachers all throughout the country.
0: Nice. Very good. Well, Father, thanks once again uh, for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll urge everybody to get over to eucharisticrevival.org and sign up. Thanks.
1: Let's all do all that we can. God bless you, all,
0: Father Roger Landry. And again, helping us stay focused
1: on the Eucharistic renewal, revitalization, revival.